and they call that a small group. It's like a large group, isn't it? They good? How's y'all doing? Everybody good? Turkey hangover. You couldn't have a turkey hangover because uh, not enough of you raise your hands. So, what? Oh, if you're, how many of you raised your hand? You had turkey. Oh, that's better. Okay, a lot of you. Okay, that's better. That's better. Okay, I think it's pretty good. Did the tryptophan get any of you? Did you have an after turkey nap? How many got had an after turkey nap unashamedly? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. All right. Okay. That's good. All right. Let's go to the Word. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter ten. Uh, this night of giving thing, it is a lot of fun, and and we encourage you to be a part of it. Of course. Uh, we're going to ask you to help us with food as well. So we serve them a dinner. We bring gifts. And so all of that is forthcoming shortly as we kind of uh, work our way toward Christmas. We're working our way to Christmas. Amen? So that's a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, that's, that's going to be our text today. And we'll jump in there. Uh, we, sh we showed you some slides up during communion. Uh, those were pretty cool. And uh, just talking about uh, 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 a lot of the book of Hebrews is reflecting on uh, what worshipers were doing before Jesus came. So the worship that he fulfilled and the sacrifice that he fulfilled uh, was very much pictured in the life of Israel for uh, all of those years from uh, Exodus 25 forward. So when, when the children of Israel, how many of you know about the children of Israel? The people of Israel, children of Israel. When they came out of bondage, have you heard of that? You heard of the Exodus? Uh, and so when they came out of bondage, uh, many of you know they had a miracle crossing of the Red Sea, then they came out into uh, what was the wilderness. And right before they left uh, uh, Egypt, so how many of you have seen the movie Prince of Egypt? Yeah, it's pretty good, actually. So right before they... <laughs> so that would be a good one for you to go watch, by the way, again. That'd be real good. So right before they left Egypt, though, uh, they went to all their neighbors and asked them for all their gold and silver. That was pretty good, wasn't it? That was a good trick. Uh, that's why we call, uh, we call him uh, Jehovah Sneaky. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, it's one of his names, Jehovah Sneaky. So, they went and uh, they asked all their neighbors for their gold and their silver. So, then they got it out in the wilderness. And, uh, and then uh, it was theirs as a possession, right? They plundered. Uh, the Egyptians who had uh, been abusing them with slavery for hundreds of years. And so uh, they got out in the wilderness, and then God says, uh, why don't you bring some of that stuff as an offering? And that's what they constructed that tabernacle out of. Uh, Marissa, you got that slide again? Throw that uh, fancy one up. So uh, that's what they constructed the tabernacle with. 150 feet on uh, each side, 75 feet on the front and, and the back. Uh, and then the, the entry area faced toward the east. And so we're kind of looking uh, toward the east side. And then the camps, uh, the 12 tribes were set in uh, camps all around the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was the center. And uh, many of you know that the glory of God uh, would hover over the tabernacle so they would have a fire by night and a cloud by day hovering over the Holy of Holies. So it was, they had the miracle presence of God, the Shekinah presence of God, present with them all of the time. And the way they knew that it was time to move is that the cloud would move, right? Or the fire would move, right? So if the cloud moved, they would know that it was time to set up camp. And, of course, they would also know it because... Out of the Holy of Holies, out of the Shekinah, would come the voice of the Lord giving Moses instruction. Numbers 789, uh, Numbers 789 is one of those instances where uh, it talks about God uh, speaking uh, off of the mercy seat between the cherubim, the two angels there on the mercy seat, 
and giving Moses instruction. And so uh, this was known as the tent of meeting. And, and this, is where, this is where Moses would meet with God, right? And uh, so the voice of the Lord would give them instruction, but also the cloud or the fire would move. And they had that ever-present uh, that ever-present Shekinah of God with them. And, and those sacrifices that were offered, so the sacrifices were, we know that they were animals, and those sacrifices and the blood that was shed and then the sprinkling of the blood on the altar and everything that was taking place was actually what we've been learning through the book of Hebrews was actually a picture of what Jesus has now fulfilled. That actually until Jesus came to offer himself on our behalf, that, the, that his coming was already planned. And so the prelude to his coming was this tabernacle and the animal sacrifices and the, the blood sprinkled on those altars and the, the, the giving of those animals uh, was representative of what Father planned all along with Jesus, that he himself would be the perfect Lamb of God, that he would be the one who would be given for us, and that in the fullness of time, he would come, and he would live his life, and he would be tested as we are tested, and yet not sin. So as a perfect son of man, as a perfect one, then he would lay down his life on our behalf on the cross. He would give of himself and become that sacrifice. And he now lives before the Father, representing us with his sacrifice. And that's a great fulfillment of what this was foreshadowing, that Jesus has actually come to fulfill a worship system that existed for hundreds upon hundreds of years for the Jewish people. That he, the Messiah, not only came to earth, the Messiah not only came, but he gave of himself. And it says that, uh, Peter writes about this, it says that when he died, he literally, he literally gave up his life on the cross. It says he gave up the ghost, or he gave up life as it was. And he needed to do that because that was his entrance into Hades or into Sheol or into hell in the center of the earth where all of Adam's sons and daughters had been held because until that time, Satan was in charge of death. And so until the triumphant man came, until the victorious man came, until the son of man came and triumphed over sin... See, when he triumphed over sin, then he was able to triumph over death. And when he was able to triumph over death, he was able to triumph over the grave. These were three were all woven together. And so he actually, through death, goes into the bowels of the earth where all of the dead are being held, the righteous and the wicked. And it's there that he's justified and it's there that he triumphs over Satan. And it's there that he receives back on behalf of mankind the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And it's from there that he springs forth on the third day. And he's resurrected. And in his resurrection, it wasn't just a resurrection to earth, but the, he did appear. And he was here for 40 days explaining the kingdom of God to his disciples, but his resurrection took him into Father's presence. And it's there that he represents us with the sacrifice of his blood. And he's the fulfillment of what we've been reading about in the law, in the Torah, in the first covenant. He's the fulfillment of those sacrifices. Is this all good? And he's done this for you. He's done this for me. See, when Adam fell, Adam, Adam, when Adam fell, Adam was first man. And when Adam fell, we fell in him. And his fallen state, his fallen nature was passed to all of us.
and it gave Satan advantage over humanity. And that's how the curse came in. And that's how sickness and disease came in. And that's how thorns and thistles came in. And that's how everything that we toil against came in, was when Adam fell. So because, because through a man sin and death came in, through a man life had to come. Someone had to triumph over sin. Someone had to triumph over darkness. Someone had to triumph over the devil. Someone had to triumph, though tested, though tempted, someone had to triumph. And that's what Jesus has done on our behalf. And now he represents us as the perfect man in his humanity, not just his divinity. He's representing us before the Father this morning. And because of what he's done, Father has poured the blessings that belong to perfect man. The blessings that he always longed to give mankind. He's poured those blessings out on Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you are right now one who receives those blessings. Did you know you don't have to beg for those blessings? You know you don't have to plead for those blessings. You don't have to crawl on the ground for those blessings. You don't have to shed your own blood for those blessings. You don't have to bring an animal sacrifice for those blessings. That if you are hidden in Him by faith, if you've acknowledged Him by faith, if you've said to Father, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Lord. Or if you've said to Father, you want Jesus to be the one who represents you then you enter into relationship with Father because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Not a one of us in this room do. Can you believe what Shiloh painted this morning? That's the, uh, by, by the way, if you're on the side too far, you can't see it, but, but when, you, when the service is over, come around. She's up here painting the Ark of the Covenant. She said she just was receiving, uh, like, the download on that this morning. And, uh, and I, she didn't know what I was going to share on. She didn't know what I was going to share on in communion. I didn't know what I was going to share on in communion. It's the voice of the Lord leading us. It's the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And here's the Ark of the Covenant. Isn't that cool? So, Father, we welcome your voice this morning. Yes, we do. We want you to be present through the sacrifice of Jesus. We want you to be present. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I gave you a lot of that backdrop for those of you that have missed some of this or for some of you that have not been here in some of the meetings or you've not been following or if we just dove into Hebrews 10 and started reading it, it would be like, you know, Sp Spanish uh, to some of you, right? Some of you say you don't speak Spanish, so... You wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be catching the lingo of Hebrews chapter 10. So that's why I wanted to give you a little bit of backdrop because this book was written to the Jewish people not long after Jesus was crucified, appeared for 40 days, gave instruction, and then was seen by over 500 witnesses going up into the clouds. He was received into the clouds, and it was seen his leaving is recorded by historians. It's recorded by gospel writers. Uh, uh, it was attested to by those who were there. And of course, because so many saw him, and because there was power released in his name, uh, his followings grew greatly. Ten days after he went up, 3,000 people committed their lives to follow him and received the infilling of the Holy Spirit when they did that. So, gr great, great uh, uh, signs from Father have come to bear witness to him as the Messiah. So we're not here today like following something that's just, you know, been made up, something that's fresh out of Disney, something that's a fable. Uh, this, is, this is stuff that really has happened. History really is his story. 
our calendar really is dated to his advent. All of life is built around his coming, his first advent, that he was here, that he marked all of creation with his presence, with his sacrifice, and with his resurrection. And he has been transforming cultures ever since. And he's still transforming cultures today. How many of you know that? Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming and not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Wouldn't it be great if you could come if you, could, if you could just come and just take ourselves back 2,000 years and then beyond, so 3,500 years, but, if, but starting back 2,000 years ago, roughly, take ourselves back there and, and just knowing that, that that sacrifice you're bringing for forgiveness and to draw near to God, that it'll do for now, but it won't make you perfect. It's not working a change in your heart. That's what this means. It wasn't working a change in the heart. It could cover over sin committed. But the power of the Holy Spirit to change the heart, to make perfect the inner man, was not available even though I brought the sacrifice. But today when I acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus... Today, when I acknowledge this sacrifice, the power of this acknowledgement has the power to change me on the inside, has the power to begin to rearrange the way I think, has the power to begin to create within me what Peter says is we become partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature is now dwelling in those of us who've acknowledged this sacrifice of Jesus as sufficient for us. Is that awesome? Is that cool? For this reason, those sacrifices, speaking of that tabernacle that we've been showing you a picture of, and that tabernacle that was a part of the life of Israel, those sacrifices repeated endlessly could never make perfect those who draw near to worship otherwise they would otherwise would they not have stopped being offered for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer feel guilty for their sins but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins therefore when Christ came into the world he said sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So this is Paul writing. We believe it's Paul writing the book of Hebrews. This is Paul writing, and he's quoting out of Psalm 40. And so by lifting this passage out of Psalm 40, he's acknowledging a messianic passage. A messianic passage means that here in the psalm, we're given a picture of the Messiah. We're given a picture, and in this picture of the Messiah, we come to understand that this system that we've been talking about, this system of sacrifice and coming before God and bringing sacrifice and all that God actually prescribed. Wait a minute, didn't God prescribe this? Didn't? Didn't Moses go up on the mountain? He was there 40 days and he had the vision of the throne and he saw all of this and he saw what it was he was to come and to construct. 
So, I mean, shouldn't this please God because God is the one that ordained all of this? Again, what Paul is trying to show us is that this is just a picture of what really pleases God. What really pleased God was the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of a perfect man. And those other sacrifices were simply a foreshadowing. And so this, this is what he acknowledges, and this is what pleases God, is the sacrifice of Jesus. David saw it. The writers of the psalm saw it. Those who dwelt in Zion saw it. They saw that there was something better coming, something more pleasing to Father, the sacrifice of Jesus. Then we go on. Let's pick it up. Verse 11. Verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. By the way, while he's writing this, he's on one side of town, right? By way of illustration. He probably was writing from Rome. But while he's writing this, these Jewish sacrifices were taking place at that time. Now today, we don't see it, but he's writing it, and while he's writing it, in Jerusalem, at the temple, these things are taking place. So he's kind of acknowledging that, you know, while this is going on, day after day, again and again, these priests continue to perform these religious duties, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, this is interesting. He offered one sacrifice, and he sits down. The former priesthood, and that which existed when Paul wrote this, they continue day after day, day after day, day after day, and there's no seats in that tabernacle. There's no seats. There's no sitting down in that tabernacle. They continue to offer those sacrifices, sacrifices that foreshadow the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus offers himself, he sits down at the right hand of Father. And Father says, sit here until I make all of your enemies a footstool for your feet. He enters into his rest, and it's the rest that we enter into as well. The setting of Christ at Father's right hand means, number one, that his work is done. His work is done. That which he's done has been presented to Father. Secondly, it means that God is satisfied with his sacrifice. It's sufficient. And thirdly, it means that Christ, together with his Father, is now sovereign over all of his enemies. Sovereign over all of his enemies. Sovereign over mankind. Sovereign over the earth. Sovereign over all of his enemies, sit here until I make all of your enemies a footstool for your feet. How many of you have footstools in your house? The word alone, footstool, infers enough of a word picture for us, and most of us have a footstool that we would, more like, a, more like an ottoman something we would put our feet out on in front of our recliner, right? Something like that. The inference of a footstool is something that goes under foot. Something that goes under foot. It's a picture of dominion. It's a picture of rule. It's a picture of authority. It's a picture of victory, 
It's a picture of power. Anything that is underfoot is a thing that is subdued. Anything that is underfoot, right? Most of us, that's where we would like spiders and snakes and scorpions. Most of us, that's... And that might be a little stretch for some of you. You might not want to snake underfoot because what is the head doing? You've got to make sure you've got it underfoot in the right spot. Which is interesting, though, because, you know, when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two to heal the sick and to set people free, when they returned, this is in Luke chapter 10, when, he, when, they, when they return, he tells them, I've given you authority over serpents, scorpions, all the power of the wicked one, all the power of evil. So this is, this is, this is what we partake of in his victory. This is what we partake of in his victory. He pulls this passage out of Psalm 110, and again, a messianic psalm, and it's repeated in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. How many, by the way, how many of you have any enemies today? Any of you have any enemies? Uh, let's, uh, uh, you're thinking wrong. I think you're thinking, uh, I think you're thinking neighbors. Uh, I'm, uh, is cancer an enemy to anybody in this room? Yeah? Uh, how about debt? Is debt an enemy to anybody in this room? Yeah? How about fear? Is fear an enemy? Okay. How about uh, any sickness? Sickness an enemy? Yeah? How about the flu? Cold germs? Yeah? How about weeds? Yeah? Uh, name some other enemies. What are some other enemies? How about uh, animosity, divorce, separation uh, in relationships? Is that an enemy? Yeah? Uh, what are some other enemies? Shout them out. Distrust is an enemy, okay? All right. Good. Because if there's distrust in a relationship, that's going to separate, that's going to divide, that's going to harm. What else? Drugs, okay, drugs could be an enemy, all right. Okay, so addictive patterns could be an enemy, right? So vulnerability toward addictive patterns. Somebody else. Carbohydrates, well, yes, uh, yes, I, I cast the fat out of my McDonald's burgers too. I, In the name of Jesus, I command this sugar to leave this Mountain Dew. All right, well, that, yeah, some enemies, some enemies the Lord can't conquer, all right? You've got to conquer those on your own. But I want, to get you, I want you to get this picture, though, that what he's done, he did it in his humanity. So the sacrifice and the sacrificial lamb presented before the Father, that was Jesus the man, not Jesus the divine one. If it would have been Jesus the divine one, there would have been no efficacy, there would have been no propitiation, there would have been no power to the sacrifice. It had to be Jesus the Son of Man whose sacrifice is presented in the throne, which, remember, the throne room is a sanctuary. The throne room is also a sanctuary. And Father's throne is the mercy seat. And that which was pictured in the tabernacle was a foreshadowing of the actual throne of God where the angels of God, the cherubim, are present, where the light of God is so radiant that it, it's blinding. 
and where the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood, has been brought on our behalf. So that blood, though, we have to remember, is the blood of the Son of Man, the perfect man. That offering, that sacrifice, is Jesus in His humanity. Now I say that because I want you to see that Jesus did that on our behalf so that when God says, sit here, and He repeats it, it comes out of Psalm 10, 110, it comes again in Acts 2, 35, it comes again in Hebrews 1, 13, it's repeated over and over again, this quotation and this insight out of Psalm 110, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He's not speaking to Jesus in His divinity. He's speaking to Jesus in His humanity. So in other words, Father, from that moment forward, not only bestowed upon Jesus the perfect Son, not only bestowed upon Jesus the, the Son of Man, not only bestowed upon Jesus the, the, the second Adam, the last Adam, the representation, the representative now of humanity, not only bestowed upon Jesus the blessing of every promise ever made, ever given, but He also said that I will now subdue all of your enemies. And when He said that, He said it to Jesus, the Son of Man. He's saying it to Jesus, the man. So every enemy that's ravaged humanity, every en enemy that stood against humanity, every enemy. So in other words, the, the enemies that are your enemies, Father is subduing those enemies. Father is subduing those enemies. I felt coming into this morning uh, that some of us, and I don't know how many of us, but enough that I felt an impression in my spirit that maybe there's a taunting or there's a, um, a, a mindset or a thought or a premonition that, uh, that, that the good things that are happening right now, they can't go on forever. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what that means to you. I don't know if you're, if you're prospering a little bit. I don't know if you, your marriage is a little better. I, I don't know if your health is just a little bit better. I don't know, uh, I don't know what that would mean uh, with regard to progress or advancement or, or goodness or glory. Uh, but the enemy wants to rage against you, against your imagination, against your thought life, uh, with this thought that, uh, that this, this won't go on forever. Just, just give this a little bit of time, and uh, this will go away. Uh, yeah, you're enjoying something good right now, but, I mean, don't, don't plan on this. Yeah, there's a little bit of a reprieve right now, but, I mean, you know... Uh, it's, it's going to get worse again. And I felt the Holy Spirit just encouraging me to tell you this morning that, no, the victory is progressive. The victory is progressive. The victory is progressive. You are a partaker of the divine nature. Not because of how perfect you are. Not because of what you've accomplished. Not because of your works. Through faith, you're a partaker of the divine nature. Through faith, you are partnered with Him who is at the right hand of the Father in His humanity, Him of whom the Father is saying, sit here while I put and rest and wait and watch as I put your enemies. And He's speaking to Jesus the man. Because though He has come into the presence of Father in His humanity, all of us who are the children hidden in Him still need victory. 
We still need overcoming grace. We still need power. We still need wholeness and health and healing. We're still wrestling with cancer. We're still wrestling with sickness, with affliction, with poverty, with, with struggles, with scarcity, with difficulty, with animosity, with, with divorces and fractured relationships. So what Father said to him, it wasn't, it wasn't just in his divinity. Like, we're going to get them. They're all going to bow their knees. Sit here while I subdue all of those people. Don't think he was talking about people. I don't think he was talking about people. I don't think the word enemies referenced people. The word enemies, how many of you have thought that? You've maybe been thinking that. They've, oh, sit here while I make all of your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, no, no, no. The redemptive work of Jesus was, was so huge that it, it brings every person under the covering of redemptive potential so that we are no longer the enemies of God. So when he uses that word enemies, he's drawing attention to the demonic realm. He's drawing attention to the curse. He's drawing attention to everything that was unleashed against Adam when Adam fell. Everything that Satan has done to Adam's children since the fall of Adam. That's what he's referencing. And he's saying, sit here, last Adam. Sit here, second Adam. Sit here, perfect Adam. Sit here, you who've begun a brand new race of people on the earth. Sit here while I subdue and watch. And let's work together. We're going to sovereignly subdue all of the enemies of those children whom we love. And he wants you to know that you don't need to anticipate sabotage. Some of us sabotage our own blessings. Some of us kill the very good things that God is doing. Some of us begin to listen to lies from the enemy. Some of us begin to meditate on or allow in our imagination fear to rise up or words to rise up or accusations to rise up that this won't last long. This probably can't keep getting better. This pro it probably can't keep getting better. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. If more enemies are progressively subdued, wouldn't that automatically make things better? Could it be that, that what's keeping the goodness of blessing from manifesting in your present life is not God's resistance, but just more enemies that need to be subdued? And so if those enemies are subdued, and if God is working to do that, then doesn't that mean that things will progressively keep getting better? Because those enemies are resisting the goodness that already belongs to you right now. Come on. Do you see it? I want the band to come. We're going to stand in a moment, but I want you to just have a receiver's heart this morning. This is so uncomplicated. Jesus has made the goodness of God so uncomplicated. Jesus has made the goodness of God so available. His sacrifice is sufficient. It's been fully accepted by Father. There will not be another sacrifice. There's not another sacrifice needed. Father is fully satisfied with what Jesus brought, so He will now accept you if you'll just hide yourself in Jesus. When you hide yourself in Jesus, when you just tell Father, I want to trust in Him, I want to trust in what He's done, I want to trust in His sacrifice, Father, I ask you to forgive me not on the basis of my perfection, but forgive me on the basis of what He's done. Father, I owe you my life, and for what I've done, I know that I deserve death, but I'm asking you to forgive me and not take my life, but instead recognize 
that Jesus, your son, gave his life on my behalf. And when he gave his life, he wasn't giving his life as a divine one. He was giving his life as the son of man. He was giving himself in his humanity that we might receive grace, that we might receive communion with Father. Let's stand this morning. And now I want you to see that not only is Father pouring out, longing to pour out, pouring out blessing on you, but Father is subduing your enemies. Father is subduing your enemies. How many enemies have already been subdued, put under your foot, conquered, and you weren't even aware that it was Father working that out in your life? You weren't even aware. You might not even be aware of what Father's up to. Oh yeah, it works that way at the Wolf House. Sometimes we're just doing stuff, taking care of things, solving things. And, and and the four little wolves don't even know that we've been behind the scenes working stuff out. That we've been behind the scenes subduing things, solving things, working things out, fixing things, repairing things, putting things away, taking... This is Father. Father's doing stuff on your behalf right now because you've hidden yourself in Jesus. You've given your heart to Jesus. You've given your life to Jesus. You've welcomed Him to be your Lord and Savior. He's doing stuff right now on your behalf that you're not even aware of. You're not even aware of all the good things that He's doing on your behalf. You're qualified. You're qualified. Jesus qualified you to not only receive goodness from God, but to have your enemies subdued. Your enemies are His enemies. His enemies are your enemies. And He loves it when they're put under your feet. He loves it when they're put under your feet. I'm going to close this morning by opening up the front for prayer. I want the prayer team to come. We'll go into a worship song. But here's my call to you this morning. If you need, if you need to know that an enemy is put under your feet, if you need to participate in that victory, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's a virus, maybe it's debt, maybe it's animosity in a relationship, maybe it's distrust, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's fear. It could be emotional. It could be an addiction. If you need to know that an enemy is being put under your foot, I, I want to encourage you. As we worship, come forward for prayer. Let one of these prayer warriors minister to you. Let them encourage you. Let them pray over you. Let them, let them partake, participate with you in putting that enemy under your feet. Because Father will use the incense of prayer to affect the breakthrough that you need. If you're here this morning, making good on what Jesus has done for you right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. Wow, I know the Lord's tugging on our hearts. The Lord's tugging on our hearts. Some of us right here in the room, we don't know Him. We, we haven't really connected with Father through Jesus. We haven't really applied His sacrifice to our own heart. If that's you, as we worship, would you come, make your way to the front. Make your way to the front. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to develop a, a bigger receiver's heart. A bigger receiver's heart. There's been so much doubt, so much confusion. You just don't know for sure if you qualify for the goodness of God. You're, you're petitioning, Father, but you're not sure if He's even hearing you. You come. You come and receive a receiver's heart this morning. Others of you, if you feel like there's been a sabotaging, a sabotaging suggestion against your heart, a sabotaging suggestion against your heart, you have, you've been hearing that it can't go on like this. It can't just keep getting better. That, that, that there's something negative right around the corner. 
I'm telling you, the Lord wants to set you free of that. That's not of God. I invite you to come forward as we close. Allow that voice, allow that voice to be dismissed and cast off of your imagination, off of your heart, that negative word over you, that fearful word, that worry word over you, it has to go. Father, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for knitting our hearts to you through Jesus. We thank you that we're partakers of your nature today. In Jesus' name.
Jesus, Jesus. 